All right, welcome to another episode of Kibiscane Stories, where neighbors meet neighbors. Today, we're doing a special on the candidates running for village council. We have with us today Fernando Vasquez. He is a Kibiscaner for 20 years and a professional civil engineer with 30 years of experience. So, Fernando, welcome on the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, Alex. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for uh, this opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. But pre-podcast, you were telling us a little bit about your experience. You want to tell me a little bit about your background? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I'm professionally, I'll tell you a little bit, but personally, I, I was born in uh, in Boston. I was raised in Boston uh, and also spent some time also in Argentina with my parents. My parents were from Argentinian descent. Uh, so I spent during my uh, childhood and adolescence, I spent a little bit of time in Argentina and, and in Boston. I went to high school in Boston. I went to school up in Maine and came back to Florida, where I began my life here in Florida, uh, going to Florida Institute of Technology back then. Today is called Florida Tech. And that's where I studied uh, engineering. So uh, for the most part, my, my background, I graduated as an ocean engineer with uh, a lot of experience in coastal uh, engineering issues. And uh, I was always drawn to the ocean. Uh, my father was, uh, a, a, he liked to sail. He sailed around the world many times. And uh, he, he brought that passion into me to, uh, I guess, um, be near the water. And I enjoy very much. I don't think I lived anywhere else except in the coast. So I understand the coast very well. And um, on that, that's uh, that's my, uh, my my private experience and my my uh, yeah, professional experience. Also had the benefit of always working on large size projects. I started uh, my career in Boston again, working on uh, one of the largest uh, infrastructure projects that was done. It was called the Big Dig. If you've heard of it, I'm, I'm sure you have, or other folks have. Uh, it was a project that was built in the 90s to reduce the traffic that was cutting through Boston by building a tunnel underneath the city. It was very complex. We're talking Boston as a city that was founded in the uh, probably 1600s, if, if not earlier. And um, it was a, you know, a very complex, very historic. We were working in the lower part of the city and uh, building a tunnel while we had a highway above us. So you can imagine that there was just a lot of utilities, a lot of uh, um, a lot of services that were buried below ground and to maintain traffic while you're building that, it was just a very complex project. So I call that a baptism by fire. Mm. Um, I enjoyed also, I also built other projects. Uh, I worked in Deer Island project. I worked in Metro West, which was a tunnel that fed water to the entire city of Boston carved about 300 feet below rock. And uh, so I've always been involved in, in, in engineering, large engineering feats. Um, spend time in Argentina, where I met my wife. I was working uh, on larger projects there as well, large water privatization projects. And that's where I met my wife. We got married and we went uh, back to Boston. She didn't particularly like it too much. It was certainly from being a Latin American and entering into an environment like that, that is so cold, we decided to come back to Florida where her parents were, and uh, which was great. It was, it was a great opportunity to be here. And uh, it was a return for me 
to back to this to this great state and um i started i i became um, at that point in time i was offered the position for uh, city engineer assistant city engineer for the city of fort lauderdale where i worked extensively on projects related to drainage and flooding and impacts associated from you know the ocean and the bay and sea walls and very relevant stuff to what we're we're facing today um, I, I think one of the biggest breaks I had was going uh, Miami Beach offered me a position as city engineer, but also director of transportation and director of environment, uh, where I was, my main duty was basically to lay out a capital plan to take care of all the flooding concerns that the city had. You can imagine this is a, a very vibrant uh, hub here in South Florida. Uh, as everybody knows, Miami Beach and it, its economic uh, uh, needs and, and, and how it is, uh, you know, how it is set up, and uh, all all the respective impacts from all the other communities that come in. And Miami Beach was threatened by sea level rise; it continues to be threatened. So, um, as city engineer, I decided that it was time to prepare a large stormwater master plan that took into consideration all the existing infrastructure and the proposed infrastructure that needed to be developed to be able to handle that flood. But also we incorporated one component that was not included before anywhere in the state of Florida that I was aware of at that time. We did do a little bit of research to find out it was the first plan ever to take into consideration sea level rise mm-hmm. when you do stormwater, which is really not looking at the water that comes from above, but the water that's coming in straight from uh, from the top, from, excuse me, from the side and from the bottom, from the rising groundwater. So um, that really got my, my, my feet wet and got a lot of experience on that and lessons learned. Also, uh, you can imagine that a project of that magnitude calls out for new infrastructure and new you know, new pipes and pump stations and things that are important to include to get the water out. And those are costly items. So I remember we started closer to about 200 million and ended up going escalating to 2 billion by the time I was well into my position uh, for uh, infrastructure needs. Um, So that was a a significant uh, undertaking that we had to do and a lot of collaboration with the public involved with the residents. Um, never mind when we get in, got into construction, that was a whole different deal. But initially it was just making sure that we assess properly the areas that were being flooded and not. Um, I was also a director of transportation, which I've dealt extensively with various agencies, FDOT, uh, the county, and even local roads. And maintaining, you know, uh, access through traffic, public access to schools, um, for, develop a walk to school program. Or for Lauderdale? Or Miami Beach. For Miami Beach. Yeah. But Miami Beach, I mean, for Lauderdale too, I, I dealt extensively as well. Okay. Uh, for the most part, as a, as a municipal engineer, you deal with all these things. Mm. Uh, you know, you deal both with, uh, with, especially here in South Florida, where we had where our main threat comes from tropical events, tropical floods or tropical winds. That is a key component, but also in the transportation because South Florida is a very, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a highly growing area. I was around since 2002 doing this. 
you, we saw a tremendous increase in population and in traffic, which also had to be uh, mitigated, for lack of a better word, and had to work extensively with, uh, fed, you know, with federal, state, and local agencies to ensure that we uh, sustain that population growth. And you know, with that comes uh, stormwater, water, sewer, transportation, and all those elements. Uh, one particular thing that uh, I think it's worth noting and discussing was that also Miami Beach is an island that is kind of set aside for Miami, and it has three causeways that come in, you know, two real big causeways, the MacArthur Causeway and the Julia Tuttle. And then you have the Venetian, which cuts through homes, but they're all connected one way or another to the main uh, the mainland. And there's always that give and take and uh, those uh, little uh, scrimmages that we have with, with, with Miami and, and with the county in maintaining the proper flow of traffic, maintaining uh, also safety and the causeways and ensuring that, uh, you know, the, the, the livability and the economic, uh, you know, resiliency at Miami Beach had at that point in time was uh, remain intact. Um, there's a little thing here that I just want to point out to one thing that I was also involved. What in. is that? Bring bring it close. This bring it close. A, yeah, it's actually let me let, let me pull it out. It's yeah. Then this uh, after I followed with Miami Beach, I went to I went to a large company called Jacobs, which I had initially worked in Boston, and we were also part of the Port of Miami Tunnel, which was the a Port major, of Miami. The Port yeah. of Miami Tunnel, yeah, which, which was also a major impact to the uh, to, to the flow of traffic that was coming in to Miami Beach. So I had a role as a program management side in Jacobs and participate in the close out of this project. And the inception of it, pardon me for one second. So for, for those for those that were just that are just listening to the podcast version, um, Fernando just pulled up one of his uh, was it a recognition and award? Um, it was a recognition award a recognition. For participation in the Port of Miami Tunnel project. So that, uh, you know, that was, maybe I just showed you the tail end of it, but the beginning of it didn't start that well because I was, back then, this was an award we got when I was in the private sector with the company that designed the tunnel itself. Mm. Okay. That was, that was that award. In my previous world went out before that, when the tunnel first started, when they started coming in and building it, I was the technical representative for Miami Beach dealing with FDOT, with, you know, with a contractor and all the issues that affected the city during construction. You can imagine that a lot of traffic always comes into Miami Beach. Hundreds and, you know, 60,000, oh 50,000 yeah. vehicles are just coming in and they all want to go to the beach. It's constant. There is no peak of traffic going into Miami Beach. It's either in the morning, afternoon, you know, all the way through the night, people come in and out of the of the causeway. So you can imagine how disruptive that project was and the concerns that the city had at that point in time uh, related to its economy and, you know, the, the free flow of access to traffic. It's very important to uh, to a community and to and, and to the economy of that community, especially Miami Beach, which. You know, when folks were starting to find out that there was a tunnel being built there and the traffic was being stalled, they decided, oh, let's not go to Miami Beach for dinner. Let's go to maybe Wynwood or let's go to 
Coconut Grove, or let's go to Coral Gables. So, you know, that starts affecting uh, the psychology of folks that really want to go out and want to maybe hang out at the beach, and they start looking for different areas. And that eventually starts affecting your economic, uh, creates an economic impact. Uh, and this was something that happened for three years straight on. So we had to work a lot in maintaining the flow of traffic, working alongside with a contractor, working the logistics, so traffic could flow as smoothly as possible. Um, we really didn't have a seat at the table at that time, and which was a bit frustrating. And that's one of the things uh, that I think it's very important for Key Biscayners because we do have a causeway that connects us straight into Miami. And um, that's one of the things that it's very important that we maintain through time is a seat at the table, a dialogue with the stakeholders that uh, in this case being Miami, FDOT, um, that own these causeways. So we are not affected and neither is the flow of traffic of our residents, that the causeway remains safe for our bicyclists and that, uh, you know, that, that, that we get what we need to get in order to provide access also to areas that are outside of our corporate jurisdiction, like, you know, Virginia Key, Mast Academy, uh, and, and all the beaches and amenities that are uh, before the, the, uh, the causeway. So um, I probably gave you a whole bunch of stuff, but the essence is that there is very solid experience that I've had accumulated through the years since I began my career as a young engineer working on the big dig in Boston and working extensively on a major undertaking like the Port of Miami Tunnel as a technical uh, representative for the city and then working for the engineer of record. So to me, that's a very important award because the Port of Miami Tunnel is, is central in, in, in a lot of stuff that I've done in my career uh, for the better of the community, right? Of course. So I hope right. I answer your question. You did. <laughs> you you did you answer. Tell me if I get too talky. <laughs> no, not at all, man. No. <laughs> okay, so I even though I think that we are beyond the icebreaker question, I still want to ask you the icebreaker question so that we can get to know. ask away. We broke the iceberg, but yeah, no you, we can keep yeah. on breaking it. Still pretty deep below. <laughs> exactly. I still want to ask you, what is the best piece of advice you have ever been given? Oh, I love that question, by the way. I think it's a, it's a fantastic question. Okay, so um, best of advice, best advice, I think advice is to provide really good advice. I think you also have to have a lot of wisdom collected through the years, right? Because you want to really be able to uh, give sound advice based on experience. Um, I think being the, the the son of a sailor, I would better word, my, my dad spent a lot of time uh, navigating through various difficult waters you can uh you can bring that into your day-to-day -day life and i think one of the things that i always try to bring advice on especially with younger professionals or younger people that are facing challenges in their lives or new careers is never give up never give up because just when you think that there is something that may stop you it's it's really a lot of that. It's it's the work of your imagination. You know, it is a lot of it is written by fear and and projections and your sense of capacity whether you can actually meet the goals. And I always say never give up. Um, I've had a lot of challenges in my life, both professional and personal as well. And uh, I think that the concept of just 
allowing things to happen and sometimes they're not pretty, but just keeping your eye on the ball and keeping your eye on, on your, on your goals. It's very important um, to do because for the most part um, you can overcome. Uh, I know I have, so uh, I certainly feel that the best piece of advice I want to give is never give up. If you have an ideal and if you have a goal in life, pursue it to the fullest and uh, with passion, with hope, with faith, and um, and charge ahead. So my next question for you is, what are the most important things for you in your life today? Great question. Thank you for asking. Um, the most important thing is always family, in my opinion. I think it's important to recognize that family is what keeps us together, what gives us uh, the sense of uh, belonging and the sense that you have your group of people that, that love you unconditionally. And that to me is, is, is very important. Uh, my, my daughter and my son, his 17 year old daughter, 32 year old son, they're, they're wonderful and very supportive. And my wife, beautiful wife, so she's been very supportive to me through the campaign and having that support, uh, it's, it's, it's very important. So that is, that is critical for me. I'm a very family driven uh, person. Uh, also, um, the opportunity right now to bring forth all this experience to help my community is also a very important thing in my life because um, you may not know this or not, but I did, uh, I was originally a consultant working for uh, Key Biscayne and um, I decided that uh, I would best serve my community, not by being a consultant, but by actually being a resident and looking in the best interest, especially with all the challenges that we have. And so I decided to move forward from my career and, um, and, and go and run for council. So uh, it was a conscious decision to leave my job and, and come in and run for council. So, and I think I made the right decision because I'll tell you what, the day that I finally, my final day after giving my, my two week notice and saying, guys, I'm, you know, I'm moving on. Um, the next day I was kind of saying that I do the right thing. And I'm like, that's one of the craziest things I've done. You know? And this is June 3rd. So June 4th, I woke up and we had a major flood event. <laughs> if you remember the flood event we had on June 4th. I think and, it is. Uh, and so to me, it was like, okay, yeah, thank you for answering God. You know, like, we don't need to do that every day, but I get the hint. Uh, certainly, uh, I felt, uh, I had made the right move, and and this is a very important component today for me is to you know continue to fight to really have everybody um, you know know who I am and know what I bring to the table, and hopefully uh, you know maybe give me the honor of serving them and be able to bring all this experience to help my community. Um, another thing which is not so relevant as to what we're talking about, which is something that's been always very center front and center in my life is music i was uh i studied music since i was very young i've always been attracted to classical music i studied classical piano um a little crazy too but that over there is my first composition that i did when i was nine years old and uh you want to see it <laughs> part of you wants to say could you play it for <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play it right now, but maybe next time I will play it. Okay. <laughs> uh, because I still have to read through the scribbles because I was so young when I wrote it. 
Yeah. But I, I was nine years old. So I've always been attracted to music. I've always been attracted to the structure and form of music. And I guess that's what also made me kind of an engineer, which is, you know, I've always been interested in structure and form and, and uh, something that, uh, you know, you built. And music is all about that. Music can be very mathematical, can be very logical, also brings emotion as well, but it's, it's a key component uh, for me in my life. So those are the, the really the, the three big things that I always consider to be important, my family, my career, and my music. So tell us what inspired you to run for office. I think the idea, as I mentioned, I was a consultant yes. working for, uh, for ACOM. Uh, I was assigned by ACOM to be the pro project principal of this project, particularly because of my presence and, you know, the understanding I had of the community. And uh, they assigned me to be the, the, the project manager. And when I started delving deeper into the plans with all that experience that I indicated before that I had both in Miami Beach and in Fort Lauderdale, um, I saw that there was a significant need for our infrastructure to improve. I mean, when you start looking deep into the patient, you start looking at the arteries and the veins and everything that gets, you know, that helps us get the water out. Uh, it was just not very adequate, uh, to say the least. Um, and, uh, a lot of things in the system that were not conducive for the water to evacuate on time. Um, so... And another thing also was that our mechanical systems that helped push the water uh, were also, there was just a lot of them and small and didn't really operate as I thought needed to operate. Uh, what I thought the village needed was a level of service, which is identify exactly what is it that, you know, how much water can we accept to live, you know, a, a sustainable life to keep our economy the way it is, to keep our insurance rates low enough. And um, all those things, it's difficult to do as a consultant because as a consultant, you just provide advice. And being a resident and seeing, you know, the, the village moving forward with this extensive program, I said, you know, and, and it, you know, I'm 60 years old and coming to a point right now that uh, I'm looking at being able to transfer all this knowledge, you know, who am I going to give all this knowledge that I have to, right? I think it's better to uh, put it to work for my, for my community, for my neighbors, for my friends. And I love this place and I remain to stay here until, you know, the end of my day. So I don't intend to go anywhere. And I felt that it was the right time to bring in all this experience and help my community. So that's what really inspired me to run. Uh, I had been putting up with the floods a lot, um, never really felt that it was, uh, you know, something that I, at that point that I would go out and, and fight up in the council, but now seeing everything and how it was, I felt that it was a very important need for me to be there. So I have a two-part question now. Uh, what, did, what are the most important issues that you see the Kibiskane is facing and how would you try to solve them or tackle these issues? Yeah. It's a great question, by the way. Uh, well, mainly is our infrastructure. Right now, the way it is, is inadequate for us to go and create a sustainable community. We have to handle the uh, pipes and pumps and everything that is below ground to make sure that the flood, that we get rid of these, these waters. Otherwise, our property insurance 
uh, will it be affected? And, you know, there's also the looming impact of sea level rise. That is something that obviously it's a discussion that is happening countywide. And I'm certainly uh, taking that into consideration. But what I'm taking more into consideration right now is the short term impacts to our insurance rates and how we're perceived through the respective agencies that, that uh, maintain our bonding capacity properly. You know, it's important that we do do that. A lot of people here flood extensively and there's a lot of different low points. The water just finds its way down and, and there's residents. And I recently, I, two days ago, I had my meeting greed and I met with most of the residents that I met with this, Fernando help us out, you know, we just don't know what to do. We're just getting all this water that's coming in from everywhere and my property gets flooded. And, you know, what can we do? And they need to have a voice. And we need to ensure that they're, that they're dry and that they're also uh, have passable uh, ways through the roadways and that we discharge that water. So, um, you know, they, they can have an acceptable, uh, a normal living style like we all do, right? There's a lot of people that don't get affected, but there's a lot of people that really do get affected. So we have a, a balance that we need to achieve in, in our in the way we manage the water that is coming in both from the sky, from the ground, and from the sea. Um, everybody talks about sea level rise. And again, I, I, I understand that. And that's still a matter of, continues to be a matter of debate above me and above all of us. But in the meantime, we just cannot continue to live in the conditions that we live with the flooding that we have and allowing the residents to be affected as they are. So um, that's a critical component. Um, also think that we have a great vision moving forward. Uh, a lot of people and residents have gotten together and they enhance the original vision plan now into a vision 2040 that takes into consideration, you know, uh, access to the village, uh, you know, the commerce that we also have to take care of and, you know, ways of, of enhancing our economy the ways of our roadways to remain passable and how we how we maneuver through traffic, uh, multimodal issues, uh, the school and, and, and things like that, that we all have to kind of breathe life to. And, and now it's the best time. Uh, so I hope I answer your question with that. Yeah. So tell me what are the top three things you will do when you take office? Address the flooding issue, number one. I want to see uh, I want to see activity happening uh, during the uh, during my uh, you know during the four years that I'm there. I want I want to make sure that I see activity happening within the two years that I take office. I, I commit to really work very hard with the administration to ensure that we take care of priority areas and also take care. Of, right now, they're moving forward with a per, with, with the school project and trying to help. Uh, drain that because the kids are getting all you know flooded so that's one project that i really want to see come to fruition and and get done i also want to be involved directly into issues related to the causeway have a dialogue with the county have a dialogue with the city of miami and have our say i think staff has done a great job in developing a master plan or an ideal plan that benefits key biscayne we need to make sure that we are heard, that we see action happening in that direction because it's very important. We're stakeholders of that causeway, whether it's owned by Miami or not, 
It has a beginning and it has an end and it ends in key Biscayne. So we have to make sure that from beginning to end, it does not affect a residence coming in and out and that it's safe, accessible, and that uh, we are able to share that with other modes of transportation. And the next thing I want to, the next thing I really want to focus on is in offsetting some of these big costs of infrastructure. I mean, people, when you think about it, everybody wants to move forward with stormwater, but when you are doing construction to that magnitude and you're ripping the streets out and you are, you know, you're, you're breaking streets, you're trying to move traffic, you're dealing with a contractor that's finding stuff as they are underground, getting all those, you know, all that dirt out, storing it. Um, it it's, it's very, very disruptive. So I want a hands-on, I'm going to be challenging the, or, the administration to really develop a hands-on approach to ensure minimal impacts to our residents and the continuance of traffic and the continuance of our, you know, of our, of our lifestyle while we're building our community. Um, so those, and, and you know, there, there's more than three because I also believe that we have to improve our commerce. Uh, we are a self-sufficient island and that's great. I mean, we have our own Dixie, we have, you know, we have our CVS, we have our other areas, restaurants all over the place, we have shops. And they suffer sometimes because we need, you know, I, the foot traffic, somehow we need to think it out better. And they have done that. The new plan looks at how we can improve foot traffic um, because we want to ensure that our businesses thrive. And that's part, that's all part of our infrastructure. That's all part of how we move the traffic, how we move foot traffic and how we incite residents to be in our, you know, commerce centers uh, and not only just enjoy a great lunch or a great dinner, but also shop. And um, that I really want to do. I also want to incentivize programs of, you know, being a musician, a classical musician myself, I want to incentivize programs for children to be more involved in music, to have that venue, to have that space to develop into other areas. Sports are great. And there's a lot of kids that are very good at sport, but there's other kids that are also good at music. And so we need to create that venue for them and, and, and help that. Parent-children programs, I think, are critical in the village to have opportunities for parents and their children to, you know, uh, enjoy time together, uh, do activities together. So I'd love to see that. Um, well, so many thoughts, so many things. But I think I gave you kind of a, an idea where, where I want to move forward with. So this is a volunteer-based position. So how much time do you plan to dedicate to the position of uh, village council? Whatever is necessary. How's that for short question? That's a long time. <laughs> it is, but it's a commitment. But it's a commitment. Uh-huh. I like it. And, I like it. Uh-huh. And because it is a commitment, because I'm going on it, you know, full steam ahead, I'm, I'm aware of, uh, of how demanding the position can be. Uh, it, you know, when you think about our size, you would wonder and you say, what well, shouldn't be because we're really just kind of a small town and all mm-hmm. that. But, uh, but it, but it's a lot of work to keep our, you know, we're, we're the last bastion of, of a small town USA. I always say that when you look throughout South Florida, I don't think you find, uh, the uniqueness that Key Biscayne has. And, uh, it's, we have folks outside that um, inadvertently or or deliberately, who knows, uh, are are causing impacts to our way of life. 
and uh, we have to be sure that we maintain that. And that's that's really one of if you ask me what is my, my key, you know, determination running for council is to make sure that we retain this and we maintain the integrity in our culture here at Kiwis Game as a small town USA village. We have our own Fourth of July parade. Uh, the kids have their own activities and they hang out on the island, and we like that. Uh, we have it's a great place to to have a family, to grow a family. We have churches. We have, you know, we, we have everything to create a, you know, a, a community, uh, a sense of community and, and, and to protect that. And I want to make sure that I, that I steward that along the way. So we talked about some of the issues that you think that we're facing and, and that we should tackle. What, but what are some of the things the village is doing well? Yeah, I mean, they're doing a lot of great things. Well, I think, first of all, we have a great administrator. Uh, Steve Williamson, he's our village manager. I've known Steve from back when I, you know, uh, he was a public official in Miami. Uh, although we didn't exactly work during the same times, I've, we've known each other uh, as professionals. Uh, Steve is a, a mission-driven uh, village you know, manager, which is difficult to find sometimes. Sometimes you just end up with these administrators that all they do is just push paper around. Well, Steve is not that type of a professional. He's looking in the future. He's looking for our best interest. And that's why I really think we're doing a great job by having him, you know, our, our public works director, Jay Gosman, this great guy, you know, uh, Roland Samimi, who's also looking at all whole aspects of resiliency, Jeremy, looking at the plans. I think we have a great staff. And I think we need to be very conscious about that. Because uh, stuff, staff that is competent and that has a vision is very tough to find. And I tell you because I came from that end, uh, dealing with bureaucrats and dealing with administrators. So we're very fortunate. And I think we need to preserve that. And I think we need to be very thankful that we have those folks looking for us in the best interest. I think another thing that is going great is that we are planning for the future. We understand we need to invest. And we have done, we have taken the proper steps and the proper measures to do that. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a contentious item, this issue about raising the, the bond debt, the cap. That particular ceiling that you have, that we have right now on our debt cap, was something that was inscribed, written in the charter forever. It was there that we shall not raise it above 1%. And then, but now we're looking at 2%, just giving us that amplitude that we need, understanding that we're investing and we're going to be prepared to invest in the future. I think it's a wise idea. I think it's important to put it in the charter and make sure to give the council the opportunity to discuss that and as a matter of policy. Um, but having the residents accept that first is critical. Uh, that doesn't mean we're going to go out there and next day go out and borrow money. But it does position us and it does send a message to Wall Street to say, hey, Kibis Gain is about to invest in some serious infrastructure. That's a clear message to investors. And I think we need to be aware of that. Um, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, we're going to go out and borrow money. We already have money. Yes, we do. We do. But it's not all for stormwater. A lot of it has to do with the underground and with the electrical. A lot has to do with other projects that we intended to build on. So, um, Make no mistake, I mean, we, we're going to be spending some money here. And so we have to be uh, cautious in how we do it, but we also have to ensure that the investors out there are aware 
And there's nothing safer, especially during inflation times than municipal bonds. A lot of people, you know, revert to that, especially when they're getting more conservative about their money. So it's a great opportunity for us to be positioned for, for, for investments in, in Key Biscayne. Uh, that's not to say, and, and I want to talk a little bit about this, about the financing component, because there's another angle to this that people have not talked a lot about. Um, about a year and a half ago or so, the president, President Biden and his administration, they passed the Infrastructure Investment Act, which was about $1.3 trillion, which were to be dedicated to road waste, water, to resiliency. And we need to capitalize on that. We need to be, we need to do a good job at going out there and going out for those grants and bringing in that money into Key Biscayne because we are a community that is, when you look at it, we are always under a threat of a hurricane or other impacts that may affect us. And we are underserved from that perspective. So there's all this potential money that we that could help us offset, you know, the expenditures that we have to do as a village. And, and, and balance out our expenditures while we, while we built. Um, this are, it's an unprecedented amount of money mm. that I've never seen ever before for infrastructure. So we need to do our part on that. And um, we need to ensure that, that we act intelligently on that to offset some of those costs and some of those worries too that the community may have. Um, and, and I think that's another thing too that I think the administration is doing a great job at and looking into that. So being in an elected office, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion, a lot of conversation. How do you plan to work with those that oppose your ideas? I think it's important, first of all, dialogue is clear dialogue and uh, respect is, is are, are, are key components in, in trying to reach consensus. You don't always reach consensus, but, you know, hearing the idea of others and either you know working with those ideas to improve the the argument improve the narrative that we're talking about i think that's a key component to work together where there's you know there's not a, a me and team right or an i and teams uh certainly uh, it takes it takes a village to work together and uh, nobody, not one person has the entire solution of everything. So a collaborative approach with the rest of the council, uh, a, um, you know, and, and hearing each other and understanding where we're coming from. Everybody wants the best for the village. Everybody that's going to be sitting there is going to want the best. But they may have a different point of view on how to get there. So I think it's a little bit of give and take. In reaching consensus, you're not always, you're not always going to get yes votes. You may get a no vote. You may get a couple of no votes. Item may not pass, but that just means that something needs just a little bit more of work. Not everything is decided in one one day, you know. And I think that reaching consensus is critical, and hearing our fellow uh, council members who are also represent the public is is an important component. As part of the diligence of reaching a consensus or having an item passed. If, if elected and mm -hmm. you finish your terms, your four years, how would you like to be remembered? That I brought tangible solutions to the village, that the village is better off, the, the, the experience that I brought in 
and hopefully the work that we've done together in the council. I want to be remembered for having done something tangible and not just have talked about it. That's why I'm very focused on the first two years. I think the first two years are critical. We have to get stuff done. We, we can talk about it all we want, but if we don't start, you know, moving dirt and getting these systems in place and actually preparing ourselves for future um, economic growth and improvement of our, of our way of life, uh, I don't think, you know, I, I, that's not something I, I don't want to be remembered for. I certainly want to be remembered for having done something tangible and beneficial to my community. What do you think makes you stand out amongst other candidates? I think my experience, my direct experience working mm -hmm. with issues of this magnitude and this complexity and bringing all these different items into, you know, all these different components, infrastructure, you know, transportation, environment, uh, economics. I think I can bring solid experience in that. I, I think I know I know I bring that solid experience. I, I hope that can be seen as valuable to our community and for the work that lays ahead. So now on to, on to a lighter set of questions in terms of like, you know, your more personal approach. So working in government is very stressful, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you do to de-stress? after a long day? I play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> no. What do I do? I uh, Truly, I mean, I think music to me is, is very zenish. I, uh, I certainly, uh, I, I, I think everybody should have, a, you know, uh, something to do outside your day job. And to me, that's, that's, very, uh, that's very soothing and, and takes away a lot of the stress. I also like to exercise walk the beach i love to fish i do a lot of coastal fishing and just uh and i also you know go out with my family in the boat and uh so those are those are things that i like to do uh just uh, enjoy what we have enjoy the, the the gifts that are given here in the community that we live in the natural gifts like our bay and uh the beautiful weather that we have and uh also internally my my own my own interest and love for music when you have a last minute guest, what is your go-to meal? Empanadas. <laughs> Handmade? No, that doesn't, sound, <laughs> that doesn't sound too much last minute. That's true. That's true. Well, but maybe you a have an empanada shop right around the corner from here that I that I love to go to, and uh, that's definitely let's go get the empanadas because uh, you know the, the in-laws are coming. So. Um, do that and you know that that's that's what i love about the key that you know you can go from bananas to you know hindu food or you can create Chinese. now we got a new chinese restaurant which is fantastic and can't wait to try it out i love chinese food we have sushi uh you know you can just any anything within within five ten minutes you'll get you'll get a you'll get your quick uh you know quick turnaround got it. yeah to help your residents <laughs> residents that visit you <laughs> that's true that's true so i got i got two last questions i know that we are running out of time but we got what are you, what do you love most about the key it's natural beauty it's a privileged area and i think we sometimes we lose sight of that uh, like i said before i don't think i i don't know of any other place in the area that is uh that has 
the adequate density, the self-sufficiency, the natural beauty. Um, it's just a privileged area to live in. And I, I just love Key Biscayne. I don't think I would want to go anywhere else. Just I uh, love the beach. I love walking the beach. I love our lighthouse. I, I love walking around Brandon Park uh, and just uh, just enjoying the, the natural beauty that is that is afforded to us. Can you describe for us a perf a perfect weekend for you here in the Key? It's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Going out on my boat, enjoying, uh, you know, riding around the bay. I love, and I'm also very concerned. I want to make sure that we keep that bay clean, by the way. Um, love to fish and, uh, you know, come back here and enjoy my, my family, get to, get to do my music. And also, uh, you know, I love the sunsets. I love the sunrises right here. I live right on the beach. So I get to see them. Uh, I get to see them every morning, almost every morning when I'm not sleeping. But, uh, I, you know, it's just it's just a fabulous, fabulous place that you just have so many activities. Um, and uh, I love our farmer's market. I go hang out at the farmer's market. I love the dog park. I got two dogs. And I'm surprised they've been this quiet this long. They usually bark at everything that moves. But um, I love taking them to the dog park, talking to residents. Uh, talking to fellow friends that are there, and uh, it's just a it's just a great place to live. I think we really uh, we really need to begin counting our blessings because they're plenty. Fernando, thank you for jumping on the show to telling us all about you and you know, your 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 reasons why you're running for office and things that you plan to do. So thank you for taking your time again, and uh, good luck. Thank you very much. Great, great talking with you. And, and thank you for this great opportunity. And just want to tell something to everybody out there. Don't forget, November, vote for Fernando Velasquez uh, for Village Council. Uh, I want to make a difference for our community. And I want to do that, you know, with, with all my heart. This is a work of love. And I look forward to your vote. Thanks.